0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad with me today. And that's funny because he's one year older today. It's his birthday. We'll say happy birthday to Phil later on. But straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. Uh
1: Thank you for the birthday wishes. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, this is uh, kind of a somber day for the Petito family. They're conducting the autopsy, I believe, as we speak. And uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to discuss. There is some uh, late developments that happened over the last 24 hours. It seems like things just keep happening with this case uh, every time you turn around. So uh, we'll get into that.
0: You know, yeah, this case has caught the imagination of uh, the entire world. As we see, we have uh People in the chat that are are from, you know, every country in the world uh, uh, texting us and uh, watching the goings on in this case. I just want to say, folks, if you're not uh, subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. We also have a Patreon. If you could join our Patreon and help support us, I'll give you the address of the Patreon right now. There it is on the screen. That's the Patreon uh, we also have a, uh, merchandise shop.policeoffthecuff.com. we got some really cool stuff. I could show you, uh, just like coffee mug right here, police off the cuff. And of course our, our logo dipped in butter. We, we uh, take great pride in that. And uh, if you want to buy merchandise, it's pretty easy. You can just go to our website, which is right there, policeoffthecuff.com. All right. Enough, uh, but Bill, you know you, you were mentioning about
1: how the uh, the uh, people that are uh, plugged into this thing are from all over the world. And I was watching you and Duty Ron this morning on Duty Ron show, and uh, there was somebody from Singapore. He acknowledged, so I guess uh, this is actually like we we've said it a couple of times. This is an international uh, story. It's uh, very very uh, you know tugging at the hearts heartstrings of everyone when you saw the pictures of that uh, beautiful young girl, and she's missing, and then this. Uh, This kid, uh, Brian Laundrie, you know, who we've we've referred to him as well as duty run as a scumbag for uh, probably, you know, uh, committing a murder and uh, then just coming back to Florida and, and, you know, just living his life. I think it's uh, horrendous. I think the way it was all done, how they shut down to the family, I think that's what really captured the hearts of everyone across the uh, across the globe, you know.
0: You know, I, I think so. And I think that this is, uh, Gabby is everyone's sister, you know, everyone's, uh, everyone's daughter, you know, and, uh, I think that's why it's tugged at the heartstrings of everyone in the world because realizing, you know, mental health issues and domestic violence issues are a problem, not just in this country, but across the globe. And, uh, we we certainly hope uh, that that the police do find Brian uh, Laundry. Both of us, uh, I mean, people, you use in the old Bensonhurst expression, you think he offed himself, and that's a, there's a very good possibility of that. However, the the hunt is still on for him. And one of the things that we're waiting on today, and everyone is waiting on, of course, is the results of the autopsy. Uh, Doctor Michael ba- Baden, who was a famous um, a pathologist in New York City. I think actually probably back in the '70s, uh, a long time. He's an old guy, but he's uh, a very competent older guy. I'm going to play a little clip of him. He was on Fox News today, and uh, he talks about the importance of the autopsy and um, what it may reveal. So I'm going to I'm going to add Dr. Michael Baden to the screen to uh, put it up there now, and we'll play it and we'll see what he has to say
2: to work with now. So let's go to it with Dr. Michael Bodden, who's in focus today, forensic pathologist and a Fox News contributor. Great to see you. Good to see you, you and I are always together at people's worst. That's right. um, so, you know, as we look at this, now we're finding out just how bad it potentially would have gotten. Your focus today, though, as I understand it, is the actual scene where she was found and whether or not she was actually killed there or elsewhere. Why right. is that?
3: Well, the first thing a medical examiner does when goes to any scene of death is to determine mentally or by testing whether that's the place where the person died or whether this is a secondary scene. In this instance, uh, was Gabby killed at the spot she was found or was she killed elsewhere and then taken and placed where she was? That's one feature that is important to the police investigation. Uh, the, The looking at the body Mm -hmm. by the medical examiner, also tells you how long she may have been dead, approximately how long she was dead. There's a 25-day interval, potentially, here. And the Uh, insects on the body. This is an open scene. Uh, In in New York City, you get maggots and flies on bodies that begin to decompose, and they tell you how long the person has been dead. And in the scene that she's found, and from the... uh, uh, videos, there are lots of insects in those areas, so there are lots of different insects. The insects tell you how long somebody's been dead, mm-hmm. and also insects tend to live in a few miles of where they're found.
2: So, Dr. Broden, if I'm following uh, the trail right here that you're laying for us, what we find out from that autopsy today may be rather monumental in terms of getting some answers, not yeah. just on whether or not this is in fact confirmed Gabby Petito but it may tell us somewhat about that crime.
3: Yes, absolutely. Where it happened, when it happened, as well as the cause of death. Right. And that, Which we
2: would anticipate. But these other things with the insect reading and all of that.
3: Yeah. And also the autopsy tells you what her last meal was. The stomach contents at the autopsy well, that's interesting. tells you what uh, foods she last ate and when she ate it by the extent of did, uh, digestion. takes mm-hmm. a few hours for... And in this situation, when you have this outpouring of social media, maybe they have on it when her last, when they last had something to eat, and that uh, would tell you uh, how long after the last meal she died.
2: All of this is critical too, because we don't know where the primary person of interest is. As he's only been called, they haven't called him a suspect yet, um, but but they certainly have searched the home. parents' home where Brian Laundrie was living, and also now his sister's house. They're looking at him. How important is it? Because this was something that was in my focus yesterday. So when you look at a crime scene, potentially, it could be in some ways even considering that home as part of that, right? Because it would be the last footprint from where she would have laid her head before they went on that trip. To me, that's important. So when the FBI had no idea that the Mustang had been moved, that said a lot to me because that means you also don't know what was in the Mustang, what was removed from the. You don't know a whole lot of things yeah. now that you let the, the the person of interest drive away in a vehicle.
3: That that that's interesting also that you bring that up because if she had her uh, head on a pillow or something, and so, some hairs are on the pillow from when she last was there, and here we have at the house at the house right later, we look at that hair and the hair has grown. And one can tell if she's had uh, uh, certain kinds of uh, uh, hair care taken, you know, dyeing of the hair or, or uh, various things. There might be evidence in the hair itself, which not only identifies the person by DNA, mm-hmm. but also by whether or not when's the last time she had a haircut, you know, uh, or a beauty, which again it just might tells be- you
2: about her life. Yeah, up until it, it that gives point. You some of the life. Thing. What piece of this really keeps you up at night, and all of it?
3: The piece that keeps me up lately is the um, uh, domestic disputes, and when police have to deal with emotionally disturbed persons, like the piece that people who die who we see in the autopsy table who die during police restraints and things because they're, they're acting bizarrely. That there should be some mental health input into what the police are doing when it comes to people as in domestic disputes or otherwise oh, that's
2: interesting not so,
3: just handcuffing them or letting them go
2: you're looking more globally at this issue because of that 911 tape because yes, of this now right. there is this purported witness who said well he's a witness it's on
3: video we're you know.
2: not we're not sure the content of the conversation that right. led up to it but when somebody slaps you it certainly wasn't a compliment so we, we know something was going on. And what that informs you is that this was a domestic situation. We also have the video from the cops, this body cam. that were, right. And we hear the voice of those officers giving counsel in that moment. Maybe we separate you two for the night. And what you're saying is on a more global scale.
3: Yeah, that I think those officers tried the best they could, but they're not emo- uh, mental health workers.
2: And you think something may have been going down.
3: And there should be, I think, as the... Police now are developing, again, uh, because of all of the crises in police work, uh, that hmm. when there's an emotionally disturbed person, as in the domestic domestic dispute, a mental health worker has a lot to contribute to how dangerous the situation is.
2: Well, those officers knew enough that those two needed to be separated. That, uh, yes. And they tremendously are heroes in our lives. As you said, things have gotten complicated. Uh, Dr. Bodden, thank you. Thanks thank for you. your expertise. This
3: is-
0: You know, Phil, one of the things, I mean, Dr. Biden is an internationally known pathologist. I think he should keep his expertise to that. He has no business talking about police response and what they did right or what they did wrong. That's not his area of expertise. And to, to think that every police car should have a social worker in it is just ridiculous, you know.
1: Listen, I'm disappointed that he had that little critique at the end, uh, which I think he was, uh, you know, uh, aiming towards uh, – the the responding offices on that uh, August 12th dispute. I mean, uh, we've gone through it before. I think that was textbook, the way they handle it. I mean, how much resources can you, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh apply to a situation like this? I mean, there were three police officers there. It looked like on three different, uh, three different police cars. I mean, they stood with them. They calmed everyone down, uh, when they felt that it was safe. Uh, they made a decision when after interviewing both of the people involved, you know, Gabby and Brian that, uh, there wasn't going to be an arrest that they separated them. And she went and, uh, stood in the van and he went to a hotel overnight. I think that was quite competent, uh, a decision that was made by them. You know, I don't think that there was any, uh, room for, uh, you know, uh, disparaging marks towards their, uh, decisions. And, uh, I don't think there was any room for, uh, any kind of a uh, critique on that. I think they, I said it before and I'm going to stick with that. They did, uh, with the situation, you know, uh, one and maybe a thousand of these situations go bad, or ten thousand, or hundred thousand, whatever it is. So this one went bad. It did, and it didn't go bad right away. It went bad. We pretty much narrowed down the time of death. It's it's more than likely. Uh, Don't hold me to this, but I would say it's almost more than likely going to be the 27th of August. That was the 12th of August. Now, I don't think the police had enough information against Brian. However, there was that 911 caller that stated something about, you know, that uh, he was slapping a woman and everything. But when they talked to her, none of that came up. So maybe it was just uh, uh, in their minds, maybe they would think it was a miscommunication by the 911 caller. But I think they assessed what they had at the time. Uh, there's no history, uh, you know, uh, that they could have had in front of them, that there was domestic abuse or he was, you know, beating her or anything like that. I think they're looking into those type of things. Now we'll talk about the search warrants and stuff. But, uh, you know, at that moment, I think that they made the best possible decisions that could have been made. Uh, th- th- it wasn't a must arrest situation, in my opinion, based on what we saw. So, uh, you know, again, I'll say it for the 10th time. She was killed probably uh, a good 15 days later. Uh, I don't think it was, uh, you know, critical at that moment. And I think those officers did a great job.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Phil. One of the things that is really apparent, and even uh, the broadcaster on with Dr. Baden said that they had that Mustang in the driveway and they didn't, the FBI and the police didn't notice that that was removed. And the, also the fact that, um, Brian was able to to boogie out of that house, and no one had him under surveillance. I mean, I find that to be pretty egregious, to tell you the truth. And I don't like to criticize the police, but I'm going to give my straight-out opinion. I think that was horrendous that somehow he slipped away.
1: You know what, Bill? You've said it before. I've said it we're not perfect. We make mistakes. They were probably overwhelmed from the beginning with this thing. Uh, The the, uh, public information officer was given press conferences, uh, you know, just about every hour or so. And maybe they didn't have the resources. I don't know. We we cited different things that happened in our careers in the past where, you know, uh, resources aren't available. Overtime is, uh, you know, uh, brought into the equation and and they want to cut back on overtime. So they'll, they'll, you know, stop different things or don't do it today, do it tomorrow. And listen, in hindsight, it was obviously a mistake. Uh, you can't ignore it. We would be remiss if we said it wasn't. We'd be phonying to the to the listeners, to the public in general. So we're, we're calling it out. We're saying it was a mistake. And I think they'll probably acknowledge it at some point, too. I mean, nobody's perfect. Uh, listen, it wasn't like, uh, you know, there was a life or death situation. They made the judgment call that uh, maybe to have surveillance on him wasn't a priority at that moment. Uh, I guess, you know, maybe they backed off a little because he had enlisted a lawyer and stuff like that. So I don't know what their uh, thinking was at the time or what, what what or who made the decision not to keep uh, 24-hour surveillance on him. But
0: obviously, uh, what we know now, that would have been a good idea. Shannon, Georgia Peach, thank you so much for the $10 super sticker. I'm going to, because I think this is such an, a really important part of the case. I'm going to put the video on of the uh, Kyle and Jen Bethune, who are known as Red, White, and Bethune. And these are the folks that gave the GoPro video to the FBI that spotted the Ford van that uh, Gabby and Brian were in. This is such an important part of this case. I'm going to add it to the stream now. We're going to play it.
4: This 27th, 2021. We got camera footage going through the Grand Tetons Park around 6 to 6 30 p.m.
5: This is at the Spread Creek dispersed camping area. We, um, we got there and there was a huge gravel lot and we decided we wanted to try to drive more toward the back because we had heard the views were better back there. So we were heading back on this long dirt gravel road.
4: and we came across a white van that had florida plates a small white van we were going to stop and say hi because we're from florida too but the van was completely dark there was nobody there so we decided to continue on our way
5: yeah the van looked like it was pretty much uh kind of abandoned we figured maybe they were out hiking or they were just chilling inside there was no doors open you know it was just um just kind of, you know, need to see a Florida plate, you know, on the other side of the country. is not something you see all the time.
4: But we wanted to include this in the video just in any way that we can help and get this out there to be able to find Gabby Petito. So if you could share it, if you know anything, um, please don't hesitate.
5: Yeah, we're as we're coming up on it, we're approaching it up here on the left hand side. This is most definitely Gabby Petito's ford transit van it's kind of wild like it's sane a little bit because we drove past we actually weren't able to find any sites and we ended up driving back through saw it again but here it is on the left so
4: and i slowed it down so you can possibly see it a little bit
0: we're going to stop it right there because one of the big things uh, that we noticed in the police stop on uh, august 12th was the hat on the dashboard and there it is so there's like no doubt that that's that's the van, and you see the hat. Well, in addition, the Florida plates, which we can't really see here,
5: better, uh, kind of freaky for a late Saturday evening. But we just kind of had a brain fart. Oh my God! There's that van. So,
0: you know, another thing is is that apparently Gabby's body was found about 250 yards from where this uh, van is located. So when we talk about the importance that um, Kyle and, and Jen Bethune, that they reported this to the FBI. This was the single most important information that they received that uh, resulted in them recovering uh, Gabby.
5: If you anybody can help, I know the FBI is looking for all the help they can get on the case. I would not recommend, would not recommend it.
4: Uh, just don't do it. Go on a different night because this sucks. Welcome back to Red, White, and Bethune. This month, we're doing something really
2: special.
0: I just what 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 great people these people are. You know, the true Americans, true American heroes in regards to this case, I believe. And I use I use that word hero haltingly. I don't throw it out there, but they really did the right thing. You know, that that old we heard it in New York City a million times after 9-11. If you see something, say something and these people saw something and they did something about it
1: yeah i i can't even stress the amount of importance that this brought to the whole investigation to the whole case these people have to be uh, applauded for what they did uh, i'm sure they didn't realize when they were doing their little blog that they would actually be picking up uh, the most important evidence uh, the most intricate thing in a murder investigation which this is probably going to turn out being after the autopsy is concluded. I think we could probably call it that at this point, but, uh, again, uh, the vehicle is spotted there and then they find the body. They find the remains, uh, within, like you said, 250 yards. So this was so important because it gave the searches an area to go into. And, uh, that's where they found her remains. And, uh, yeah, uh, kudos to those people. Hats off great American heroes. Uh, they, uh, came forward with the information. I think they actually uh, heard about the case through social media uh, and people were talking about if he had been in the area. And I think when she was interviewed, that young lady, she said that there were a lot of people in the park that day. So there may be more video coming forward related to the van or even possibly uh, Brian and Gabby. So uh, if anybody is out there in the Sound of Viral Voices, and you could go through any video if you were in that area, in that park in uh, Utah on the 27th of August. Uh, you may have something very, very crucial to the investigation. It would only aid uh, in helping uh, prove whether or not, uh, you know, Brian was there and Gabby was there. And uh, it might give a better timeline on uh, when she was last seen alive and stuff like that. So, uh, again... Uh, we live in the world of, uh, video cameras and, uh, YouTubers and bloggers and all these different things. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you, you may have talked about it on uh, duty run show this morning about how, when we were, uh, you know, in the thick of uh, homicide investigation years back, uh. We would get video surveillance uh, every once in a while. It would be black and white, very grainy. You could barely make out anything. And now you have, uh, as you put up, you stop that uh, video right at the right point. The hat, which uh, it showed... Uh, in the video on the 12th with the body cam police officers video with the interaction on the 12th and it showed that same hat in the same location and that's really how they narrowed down that it was the exact van. I mean, it was a van with Florida plates. I don't know if they actually were able to capture the uh, the actual plate number in, in their video that uh, the Bethunes took, but uh, uh, it was clearly the same van put the uh, searches in the area. And uh, they were able to recover the remains. Very, very important to the whole investigation.
0: Well, I'm going to put this uh, video on the screen. And this is the uh, Carlton Reserve where the search for uh, Brian is going on right now. You can just see how vast it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've been hearing news reports. Uh, Just before we went on the air, I put on uh, the news and I heard they described the area as extremely treacherous that, uh, waist deep swamp water loaded with pythons and alligators. So, I mean, it sounds like it's treacherous ground. We, I mean, I don't know if it's been confirmed 100% that he is in that, in fact, in that area. Uh, I heard uh, differing reports where the family said that he's not missing. He's hiding out. I heard that on the eleven o'clock news last night on uh, CBS New York uh, local news. I don't know if that's confirmed or not. Uh, I do know that the search was halted. Now it was uh, started up again this morning. So it looks like they believe he's in that area bill. Uh, I don't know how he could survive all these days. It's uh, over, you know, it was a week uh, today. Um, I don't know how much food he could have brought with him, water, and then if he could sustain in uh, that treacherous uh, territory with uh, those predators, you know, uh, pythons and and alligators and all of that. So, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know how experienced he is in the wilderness either. So uh, that's that's one part of it. But, uh, you know, uh, there was something else that I heard today. Uh, Everybody was talking about in the chat last night. How do we know he was back in Florida on the 1st of September? There was actually a plate reader. They put an all points bulletin on her license plate number and a plate reader picked up his license plate coming off the highway close to where he lives in Florida on the 1st. That's how they narrowed it down that it was the 1st of September that he was back in Florida. So that was one, uh, another important uh, fact that was uh,
0: released to the media just recently. You know, Phil, I just want to comment on something because it's it's been in the uh, the chat and people are uh, talking about how there was a video played that showed the door of the van uh, being opened. And I'm just going to show, and I don't know who made that video? I don't know if the video was doctored, so I chose not to show it. Let's let's go back that way again, and I'll show.
1: Are you talking about a different video, Bill, or is it? Uh, you know, they the, they
0: showed they showed a different video with the van with the van door being opened slowly. So now, now is it is it is it
1: like identical to this video? Or well, it it, it, it
0: had to have been based on this video because this, okay. these are the only people. But I don't know if the person that got that video doctored it. So I yeah. chose not to report it, sure. and because on, unless something's verified by the police and they say, yeah, this is it. I'm not going to show it because it's it's unverifiable and it can just be you know someone just creating a shitstorm over evidence that they doctored. And I'm not going to show it. So anyone in the chat that thinks I'm ignoring it, I'm ignoring it because I don't know if it's true. And I only want to report things that I know are true. So therefore, I don't know if that video is in fact authentic. So I'm sorry I'm getting a little perturbed at this, but... That is the way I work. I do it from a police perspective and I do it. I put up evidence that is verified and not from, you know, a lot of content creators put a lot of stuff out there that's not true. And I'm not going to put it up there. You know,
1: Bill, we've uh, maintained our integrity when we started this podcast that uh, we weren't going to report on things unless they were verified. Now, that's the way we operated when we were active law enforcement officers. You don't want to you know, uh, go forward with something unless you can verify it uh, regarding uh, anything. You know, and so now in the in in journalism today, now uh, you know we kind of uh, segued from you know law enforcement offices. We're doing this uh, this podcast, but you know you have to take in journalistic values into what we're doing. And a true journalist doesn't report something just on hearsay or somebody tells them something. They always try to verify it. That's how we always did criminal investigation. A witness comes forward and says. A, B, and C, how do we know it's true? We go out and we verify it. So again, I'm with you on that, Bill. I don't like that uh, you know, there's been a lot of things that appeared on the internet in the, the last week or so since this whole thing broke that uh were fake or unverifiable. And again, when we were on uh uh, two days ago, uh, right as we were on the air, the new it came across the news that it was body was found, but we didn't want to report it as being her until media outlets and the uh, law enforcement came out and said, uh, we believe it to be her. And that's what we reported. So, again, uh, with you on that 100%, if something isn't verified, uh, we're not going to go along with it.
0: You know, like who, who – I don't know who, in fact, slowed that down. I don't know if the person that did this played with the video. I don't know. So – Again, I see a lot of people in the chat insisting that this is true and this is uh, verifiable, but as I said, if I can't verify it, I'm not going to go with it as the truth. And I think Duty Ron uh, feels the same way, and he didn't show it either for that very same reason. So uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, is important today and everyone is waiting for, and that's why we showed Dr. Baden, is the talk res- about that. Is the results of the autopsy. Now, we would expect if they do come out with the results today, which maybe they won't, uh, that they would come up with at least a cause of death. However, one of the things that are very important in an autopsy is something called toxicology. Toxicology can take anywhere from four to six weeks, depending on the tests that they're doing. Because the tests they do are scientific tests, and it just takes that much time to do those experiments on Uh, the toxicology that they're testing. Bill, any comments on that?
1: Yes, absolutely. A couple of things real quick. Um, I think that the the, uh, medical examiner that's doing the autopsy obviously wasn't at the scene. Uh, that's, that's my understanding. Now, whoever was at the scene, whatever medical professional responded to the scene, they're going to get a detailed report from them. Now they, the, uh, medical examiner that's going to do the autopsy is going to look at that ahead of time. Look at the photos, look at the location where the body was found. A lot of things are going to go into the pre part of the autopsy. So now if they feel that she was killed in one location and then put there. That may have a little bit of impact on what they're going to do in the in the autopsy. But again, Bill, you made some great points about uh, toxicology. They're going to do X rays. Um, we don't know how much of the remains were intact. That's another thing. I mean, it looks like from the twenty seventh until two days ago is about what would we figure it out? It was about twenty days something to that? It was about
0: twenty three days.
1: Twenty three days. Okay, so twenty three yeah. days in the elements. We don't know if the body was covered, uh, if it was uh, partially buried. We don't know any of those facts just yet. But those things are going to play into uh, what's going to be on the autopsy table when they do do the autopsy. Now, I don't want to get too graphic about it because I wouldn't want, you know, uh, the family of of Gabby to be horrified by the things that we're going to say. But, you know, we have to talk about this in the way – that it really goes, you know, really takes place. Now, I'm going to mention something that I mentioned the other day, and it is a little bit graphic. If there isn't a lot of remains left, they would go deep into the body to do uh, deep body tissue, uh, you know, examination. They 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 may go deep into the heart, or they may go deep into the body. You know, in the heart, there's the chest cavity, there's rib cage that'll protect it, so it may be intact, and they can get a good blood sample from there. That's just one of the things that they may or may not be doing. Doctor Baden touched on the insects. The insects uh, can be a telltale sign of where the body was when it was dumped, you know, uh, if there's certain insects in an area and then the bodies again moved, it might, uh, it might show something like that. I don't think that's going to be the case here from what it looks like. In my opinion, probably where that van was spotted on that gravel road, she was found 250 yards away. Chances are she could have been killed in that van at a different location driven there and then dumped. That's possible, quite possible, but I don't think that, uh, the body, once it was dumped, I don't think it was moved after that is my point.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, look, there's uh, one, another pathologist said one of the things, or not a pathologist, but a forensic scientist was a professor at one of the colleges down south. Some of the things they're going to be looking for is um, obviously blunt force trauma, uh, that, and that would most likely be in the head and neck area. Uh, they're looking for fracture of, of the hyoid bone, which would indicate uh, strangulation. They're also, look who's going to join us. Uh, Joe Murray is, uh, he can't stay away. I just did it. I just did it. Joe Joe, Murray, welcome. Uh, Hey, guys. uh, Are you visiting just because it's Phil's birthday?
6: I love it. I mean, Phil, you've been doing amazing. I love being on the show with you. And uh, so any chance I get, I try to sneak in there.
0: That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Just thought what I was going, what they're going to be looking for, uh, hemorrhages of the neck. If someone could grab you around the neck, it could be hemorrhaging or bruising. And obviously, bruising is is, is, uh, while the person is still alive because dead bodies do not bruise. Uh, And that would be happening while the person is alive, another indication of of, uh, strangulation or asphyxia, Uh, and possibly a depressed uh, skull fracture, which would also – indicate uh, blunt force trauma. So these are the things that um, they can probably report to us right away and can be definitive is that this is what caused the death.
1: Bill, let me piggyback that a little bit. Uh, You you really hit some really good points. Uh, Even if the body is badly decomposed, there may be some uh, fractures in the skull, which is obviously going to uh, be a telltale sign of cause of death. And then uh, the eyeballs, you mentioned the, uh, the the neck bone, that there's a hyoid fracture or bruising. In the eyeballs, there's this thing when a person loses consciousness from being strangled called petechial hemorrhaging. It's in the whites of the eyes. I'm sure that might've been looked at even on the scene to, to, to you know, if the eyeballs are intact, that they probably could look at that. I'm sure the medical examiner is doing that. And then we'd, don't know if it was gunshot wound, stab wounds. If she was shot, even if the body is uh, barely decomposed, there'll still be, uh, you know, the bullet may be inside the body. There'll be signs of a gunshot wound, stab wound, same thing. Uh, and there's a lot of different things that go on in the body, uh, even post-mortem that will give indications of, uh, you know, massive loss of blood and different things like that. So, uh, you know, the, the medical examiner's autopsy today is going to be very telling. Uh, I hope that they give us some kind of an update when the uh, when the autopsy is completed, and um, you know, uh, just we're all hoping and praying that we can get this thing wrapped up and uh, bring criminal charges against uh, uh, Brian. You know,
0: you know, we're going to go to a quick uh, commercial, and then I'm Joe. I want to get to you because I'm glad you're here, and we're going to talk about theoretically what what happens if they find Brian, and we're going to talk to you about. Do they have probable cause? How do they proceed? Right, but right after this little message. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found
1: yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the MB- NYPD. He knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. And you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com, joe at jmurray-law.com. And if you've been watching the last couple episodes, you can see his expertise. He's well qualified in the criminal defense area.
0: Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends and will provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits goes towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from PoliceCoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. 50% of the profits go to officers' families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. Joe, you know, I wanted to talk. We spoke about this on our show last night, which was viewed by a, uh, almost 50,000 people. And what I asked you was, say Brian either turns himself in or the police find him right now is there probable cause to arrest him
6: i would say based on what we know right now no but the police know and law enforcement have so much more information than we have so i say that with the caveat that they've been investigating this case from you know the first report of her being missing and and that obviously as we went through that entails all the electronics and the footprints and you know, the timestamps, all that stuff is all relevant. It all connects. It can be circumstantially used to draw the nexus that needs to be drawn. Once it's determined this is a homicide that that someone caused her death, now we need to see who caused it. He's the most likely person, you know, the, the strongest suspect in the case. So now making that nexus between him and her, the time of death, the cause of death, all of that stuff needs to be connected. We don't have access to that. We don't know what they have. And you know you have to be mindful of that because all of those electronics and where he went and how he drove off, let's just say arguably uh, in some fantastic way, the time of death is uh, deemed to have taken place a day or two after he's already left the state. That creates a problem but we don't yet know yet what the cause of death was, maybe, you know, stabbing her and leaving her, she died a day later or something. So there's so much here that has to be developed. Uh, In order to make that arrest, you have to have the probable cause that, and, and, and again, we'll know from the autopsy cause of death, maybe even time of death, but without who caused the death, we need that nexus, that link. And I think when the FBI raided the home yesterday, and treated it as a crime scene. I think there's some material there that that at the scene where they recovered her, they felt they may be able to draw and you know think about it. If they found something in the home or something you know in the vehicle that uh, when he came home or his material that he brought home that is you know specific to the crime scene, there's your nexus, you know So it's so important what they're doing or what they recovered. You know, um, Joe,
0: I understand that the judge on in the search warrant listed Brian by name as a suspect in the warrant. So there goes that person of interest nonsense, you know, that, that, that I hate to hear.
3: But, but so many people,
0: you know, but so many people, even law enforcement, oh, yes, that's a term we use. No, it's not a term the police ever use. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, you know.
1: You, you know, Bill, you talked about uh, earlier today on Duty Run Show, you talked about transfer evidence. Now, that's going to be important, too, because uh, when they conduct the autopsy, I mean, I had a, a, a triple homicide where uh, two 12-year-old girls were murdered, and it was by another family member, and they found touched DNA uh, the, the crime scene was staged after they were murdered. They, they staged the crime scene. They tried to make it look like a sexual attack, and they pulled the pants down on the individuals. They found touch DNA, DNA from the perpetrators inside the girls pants, uh, or underwear or jeans, whatever it was, but from inside, inside the clothing. Now the body may have been exposed to the elements. I don't know if there's going to be something like that, but under her fingernails, there could be uh tissue from fighting him off, you know, defensive, uh, uh, mark or uh, wounds on him. And, uh, again, uh, we don't know if maybe the murder took place inside that vehicle. The FBI took the car. They did a complete forensic examination on it. So all of those things are going to play into whether or not they're going to, come and charge Brian uh, if they found anything in the vehicle, uh, if they found anything on the body, or if they found anything at the location where the body was found. And again, like Joe said, maybe something was brought back to his house. He could have hid bloody clothing, uh, an instrument, a weapon. There's so many uh, variables, but uh, it sounds like they did extensive searching at the house. Uh, I'm sure they mentioned that uh, I think they were trying to develop pattern of domestic abuse. They One of the uh, search warrants stated, his home computer, that there were uh, are, uh, conversations or emails between him and I think maybe Gabby's parents uh, talking about uh, domestic violence. So they're going to go into all of these things. They're going to paint, uh, if it gets to the point of a trial, I'm sure they're going to paint a very vivid picture of what was going on in their lives before all of this took place. And then they're going to use every bit of uh, technical knowledge, forensic knowledge, and they're going to uh, provide the evidence that they can say conclusively that they believe he was responsible for her uh, for her death.
0: You know, uh, Joe, I just wanted to ask you one thing now. A lot of people, you know, they talk about DNA, and we all know, of course, DNA when recovered in the proper way is slam dunk evidence. But in this case, they were a couple. Of course, trace evidence would be on each other's clothes because they're living together in a small van. The type of DNA that might be very important in this case is if she, in fact, has DNA underneath her fingernails, which is part of the autopsy, they would scrape underneath her fingernails because if there was a potential struggle and she scratched him, she could potentially have his skin uh, DNA underneath her fingernails. But, I mean, all the other DNA, you as a defense attorney could exclude that or just explain it away, couldn't you?
6: We do. And, and a lot of times, you know, the DNA is, is – it's so expensive to do these DNA analysis and, and presenting that evidence. It really is. And <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, the, the city has their – the OCME – uh, Officer Chief Medical Exam. They have their standards that they have to apply. And a lot of times what comes back is too many contributors, uh, things of that nature. And then you also have things like transfer DNA. I shake hands with you, Bill. My skin cells are going to make contact with your skin cells. So I mean, there's a lot of variables that come in with DNA, and especially as you correctly pointed out, we're dealing with a couple here, an intimate couple who are, are living in a van essentially together. So that's going to come into play but you're absolutely right under the nails is just almost conclusively you know that uh, it's not something that was transferred other than through a struggle. So things of that nature will be obvious and 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 relevant to the investigation.
0: Well you know it, it, for a first year um criminal justice student, one of the first things you learn about is Locard's theory of exchange. For example, if you and I got in a fight, uh, evidence from you, your, your DNA would be on me and vice versa. And Correct. that's the theory of exchange, and that's where we get also types of trace evidence. But right. as we said before, you would expect certain amount of trace evidence, especially inside the van. They were living in the van together. Yeah. Of right. course, each other's DNA would be on each other's clothing, choose whatever utensils that type of thing so we have to know what's important and what's not To, to expand on the fingernails a little bit that's what's so important about today's autopsy
1: because it's not only going to be the scraping of the fingernails, there may be marks on her hands that showed a broken fingernail or different things. You know, Maybe she's got marks on her body that may also uh, make the DNA evidence a little bit stronger to say, as Joe just put it, it was invariably that it was done during a struggle, that that's how the DNA got under the fingernails. So very, very important is today's autopsy, obviously. Um, The discussion about the transfer of evidence, and and like you were just saying, Bill, uh, if we get into... a fight your your dna will be on me mine will be on you and i think that that's quite clear that that's maybe going to have a little bit of a bump in the road to explain when we get down to a a trial let's say but
0: phil phil hopefully your blood will be on me
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that i've been been taking some boxing
7: lessons i don't know about that (laughs) but uh
0: but you you
1: you know there, there may be blood evidence in the van we don't know you know we don't know what's in the van um you know, there may be a weapon in the van. There's a lot of things that uh, I'm sure that they're looking into quite deeply.
0: You know, we, again, like we, we say in other cases that we've been on, we're not privy to the inside of this investigation, which is very important. And there's several law enforcement agencies that are involved in this investigation. You know, the Moab police, the FBI, uh, the police, the Florida police, uh, what town is, North Northport, Florida police. Northport. police. So there's a lot of, there's at least three or four agencies involved in this. And, you know, uh, all of the the criticism that's been going on uh, about the police. And, and look, when we, when we speak about, uh, oh, look, someone in the chat obviously said uh, that they didn't like that I criticized Baden. You know, Baden's a pathologist. And I, you don't see me on here criticizing Baden's uh, work as a pathologist, but He's not a police expert, so when he comments on, you know, every every police car should have a social worker in it, that's not his area of expertise. And you know, I'm going to comment on that. This is my show, and I like to comment on things that I think are incorrect. And I think he doesn't have the right, as a pathologist, to comment on putting a social worker in a radio car. Thoughts I on agree. that,
6: Joe? It's so dis- disappointing uh, to hear that, and and. Lately, I've just been disappointed by a lot of people that I really look up to. And I always thought of him as the Quincy, you know, Mike Sheehan, a uh, great investigator that I worked with. I miss him dearly. He has such a wonderful relationship and would consult with him on some of the cases that we worked at. He really is an expert in his field preeminently. Uh, and even now in private practice, he's, he's just sought after by everyone. Uh, because of what he's done. and again, don't forget, as you guys were talking about, the repetition is what makes you the master of your craft. He was working at a time where homicides were coming in left, right, and center and and he he really developed himself that way. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that was you know disappointing to hear him make you know that kind of policy statement that really is not really in his wheelhouse of uh, expertise.
0: I 100% agree with you. You know, that was a
1: political th- statement to me. That was a political yeah. statement. And I mm-hmm. think it's got no place in this. Look, you can criticize what you saw on that video if you don't think the police did the right thing. I've said, Bill said, we were all in agreement that they went, even Joe, you said it, they went above and beyond. But, uh, you know, this def- defund the police, uh, get rid of the police. And, you know, they want to send social workers to the scenes that he's, uh, you know, if somebody's violent. Uh, a social worker will wind up getting killed and then they'll say, well, maybe it's not such a good idea. I don't, I, I, yeah, he was out of his wheelhouse. Like you said, Joe, he's an expert at pathology and and criminal investigation regarding autopsies and stuff like that. Stick with that. And, uh, you know, listen, if there's always room for improvement in law enforcement, if somebody comes up with a good idea, it should definitely be implemented. But that was a, a clear political statement what he was doing. Yeah.
0: You know, there's enough uh, criticism out there for a lot of things that that occurred. And one of the criticisms I'd like to say is that a lot of these uh, TV talking heads, uh, specifically, they just give this hardcore, hard ass, go get them, strangle them, do this, without really knowing the law and without taking into consideration the law. And, you know, the police always have to take the law into consideration and when the you know even John Walsh, he gets a little too crazy with himself. Right now, Joe, you're a, you're an attorney, and you you're saying to us there may not be probable cause right now to make an arrest. Sure. But yet the TV people already have his the electric chair set up for him. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know, Bill, I think that uh,
1: John Walsh probably becomes emotional, and he's very passionate about it. He lost his son, and I get it, and. um You know, I did see uh, a person on on TV on Sunday night talking about uh, after uh, Gabby had been found that, oh, well, if she's found, you know, in a ravine, that means that it was a a, a natural causes. And but if she's found in a shallow gray, it's definitely murder. And there was an FBI agent, former FBI agent that stopped the right dead in their tracks and said, no, that's not the case. Just because she's found in a a ravine doesn't mean it's natural causes, natural causes. And and I'm going to expand on it now. Natural causes mean you died a Natural death means, you know, you died of an ailment, you died in your sleep, old age or whatever. That's not natural causes. Just because the body is found in a ravine doesn't mean somebody could have killed them, strangled them, shot them, stabbed them, and then placed them in a ravine. And uh, the person that was, uh, that was MC in the show, uh, you know, backed up a little bit and said, okay, well you have that. But if, if she's found in a shallow grave, we know she didn't bury herself. Obviously that's, uh, that's a good, uh, that's a good statement, but you know, with all of these different things, we try to be. Uh, you know, uh, people are getting a a little excited and a little emotional. We try to look at it from uh, a standpoint of law enforcement and uh, being seasoned investigators, you know, seasoned police officers. So we're not going to jump to those things right away, so to speak.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we have to take into consideration the law and, you know, even in the the chat, I'm seeing people are still going back to, can he be arrested for stealing her van? And Joe, we've answered this. It's been asked and answered a million times. Why don't you just answer it, Joe?
6: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, people are under this impression that, you know, because. Yeah, they're presuming facts. First of all, we know that they shared the band together on this trip. Started-
0: oh, my God. Look who showed up for the birthday hey! party.
6: <laughs>
0: I heard that there's a birthday to be celebrated.
7: Philly, yeah. I'm wishing you a lot of health and happiness going forward. Yeah. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you so much, Ron. I really You know, all, all, the people, all the people out there must think...
0: None of us work. None of us have jobs. You know, we're just hanging out, podcasting all the time, you know? Listen,
7: I get, I get two days off because of a Jewish holiday, and you say, I don't have a job. I work my ass off. <laughs> what are you talking about?
0: And so does Joe Murray. Just just Phil and I are independently wealthy, right? I
7: got hey. to stop
1: and say thank you, Tom. I'm seeing so many happy birthdays in the chat. Thank you, oh, everyone. No. I really appreciate it. That's so nice. And oh, uh, you, we, no. we have great fans. I'll say that. Yeah. Quick,
7: uh, before yeah. before uh, before I, 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 uh, I jump in here, I just want to say I've been watching the chat and there's so many great people supporting the police here. And I want to say thank you to everybody who's in the chat who supports our local law enforcement on a state, local and federal level. You guys are an intricate part of making law enforcement great. We need, need, need your support and we thank you. So I want to just say that publicly here on Police Off the Cuff uh, real crime stories, because without you guys, we, it's got a very difficult job for us to do. So I tip my cap, even though I don't have one on, I got a fresh shave today, but I say thank <laughs> you to everybody in the chat for uh, supporting the police. It really means a lot to us. And for those of you who don't support us, then you know what? Uh, I those are most of the people who aren't living their lives right. So I, I, I appreciate everybody here. So thank you.
0: Well said, Good duty work. run. <laughs> Uh, Joe, water. I kn- I know you were addressing a couple of those legal issues before yes. Duty Ron came in and joined this birthday party. You want to go back to that? <laughs> oh Is that What the me? heck was that? Yeah. I don't know what that um, was. Yeah, let me drive that, that was son that, threw that a was bag out. my son no, that threw that a bag was... out in the garbage. That was Joe's money counting machine. <laughs>
6: <laughs> There's a lot of people that, that really have the opinion they're assuming facts. And you can't assume facts when you're talking about arresting somebody. You have to have your facts in line. So when you talk about how these two were on this campaign together, that we, we saw that he was driving the car in her presence. That's implied consent. She's giving him consent to use and drive the car. So when you have implied consent or even, we don't even know if they had a written consent when they bought the car or in, you know embarked on this journey, but he had consent to use the car. People, please tell me, are there facts available that tell us at some point she revoked her consent? I'm aware of none. I'm aware of no facts, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, somebody pointed out, and I had this little discussion, uh, I think, in one of the comments. Well, she's dead. Okay. Did he know he was dead? Perhaps. Can you prove it? You know, like the the very simple connecting the dots here. If I say to you, Bill, hey, listen, take my Corvette, go down to shore, have fun, do what you want, and I have a heart attack, and you're driving my car, did you steal it? No, I no. gave you permission, I gave you consent, you are a licensee of my vehicle, you have permission and authority to use it, and you use it. So I, I I think people are just trying to read facts into this that we don't have. Uh, similarly, even the domestic violence, can he now be arrested? No. No, there's no, there's no basis. I mean, there was a thorough investigation, they went through it, if there was any basis, there would have been an arrest there, but as we you know, went through and we were bombarded with, did you hear the 911 call? He was slapping her. Okay, slapping is a violation. Slapping is uh, harassment. It's not a crime. It has right, to be. Right, but
7: we, we have to put in the disclaimer there, it's not okay to slap another woman. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not a crime. As you said, Joe, it doesn't constitute a crime. Uh, but again, you know, uh, to dismiss it would be, you know, we'd be remiss to not acknowledge Nobody, that it's not the right thing
6: to do. And I want to be clear about that. Nobody's dismissing it. It all should have been reported, but guess what? She didn't report it. So, but even the fact that it was reported on a 911 call, what were the facts that were reported? He was slapping her. Where? He smacked her right. in the face? Did he hit her in the back? Did he hit her on the butt? What? Where was he slapping her? And what was she doing was she wincing in pain there was no proof or evidence that he caused an injury
0: joe now, yo, could, joe officer, can i just joe can i just stop you for one second just cuz people in the chat still don't understand for there to be an assault there must be a physical injury period right. thank you okay. and
6: it's important because the officer actually exaggerated the point by going through that i'm going to ask you a question take a minute think about it answer this question did you intend to cause pain or injury?
7: because he, right, asked- he had an injury on his eye. He had an injury on his eye. Yeah. Uh, it was clear on that uh, body cam. He had, uh, he had.
6: And he asked her, when you did this, did you do this to cause pain or injury? And she said, no. That's the element necessary for a misdemeanor assault. I intend to cause an injury and do cause an injury. So mm. there's so much here that everyone was getting a little hysterical. Did you hear the 911 call? That 911 call to me showed nothing. Showed nothing. He was slapping her. Okay, what would I have done as the responding officer? Hey, we have someone, a witness, who says that he was slapping you. Can you tell me what happened? She didn't even mention it. That's and right. She said there was no injury. And they examined them pretty thoroughly, and they saw no injury. So I I think to to criticize these officers is really, you know, inappropriate.
7: A lot of people in the chat are saying that they thought slapping was a crime. Uh, And again, you know. It's wrong. It's it's
6: wrong. It should be reported. It should be investigated. And it can be prosecuted as a secondary offense if you have evidence of a crime taking place. Right.
7: I have. i'll give the audience an example okay one of my son's friends was out with him a long time ago but you know maybe two years ago out at a bar on bell boulevard famous bell boulevard spot uh one of the bouncers got into a fight with somebody and the bouncer mistook my son's friend for um uh, the the perk that he was fighting with Okay, and he punched him in the face gave him like six stitches in his lip That guy got locked up for that injury to the lip. You know what it was? Assault three. That's what he got charged with. He got stitches and knocked his head on the floor because he hit the curb. You would think that that would be more charges. But here, it leads to the misdemeanor.
1: Assault three misdemeanor, not a felony.
7: It's the lowest level of misdemeanor. The guy was in and out of jail. Um, He didn't even spend the night, actually. And, um, you know, the, we're talking about a slap here. Um, this, this person got stitches on the inside of his lip uh, and had a, a mild concussion. So, now,
0: You know, when we're talking clear, about the, the investigation – I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. The
6: courts have said for a physical injury – it has been defined and modified, but the courts have said, uh, at least in New York, a physical injury could be substantial pain, redness, swelling – That would satisfy that burden. But again, hearing the 911 tape and then looking at these officers, even myself looking at her, I did not see it. I did not see a physical injury, and she did not make a complaint of substantial pain that they could have had probable cause to make an arrest.
0: Joe, would you answer, thank you, Criddle Watcher, would you answer this question, would the traffic stop Ended differently had the officers checked the registration and seen the van was hers with him trying to lock her out.
6: No, because, you know, the fact that he, even if let's just say 100%, he locked her out, it's her permission or authority for him to use the van. If she then said, I revoked his license and he continued to use the van against my wishes, She could have said that. If that factually happened, she could have said that. That would have been unauthorized use of the vehicle. And perhaps if he used force to get the keys from her, I mean, the the crimes would pile on. But she's never said that. She's never said, I revoked his license to use my vehicle.
3: I you know,
1: think also that they they determined that the car was registered to her because they made her, he went to a hotel overnight and she stood with the car. So they must've determined the car's registered in your name. You stay with the car. He'll stay in the hotel overnight. They separated them. That was classic police science when uh, involving any type of mutual combatants or a, uh, a domestic dispute. I think they did the right thing with that. That tells me that they did determine that the registration was in her
0: name. You know, Philly. I know that it's your birthday, and if you want to duck out, you can duck out whenever you want. Because no, I know am good. I'm you, good, though. I know. I can see there's ten people mix, uh, stirring the sauce right now, and they may <laughs> they, they, they may need your assistance. My,
1: my wife is cooking dinner, but she's actually not on yet, and uh, I'm gonna have my kids, and uh, we're gonna have a nice cake and everything. I know. So I know you good. have to
0: supervise the cook, so you know I, I don't want to keep you here if you if you want to go. Trust but, me. She's You know, you know, know, folks, we don't we're not trying to, like, make statements on domestic violence. We're trying to make statements on what the law is. And I know a lot of you folks in the chat don't like hearing what the law is, but that's what the law is. And we had to live with that during our police careers. You know, I'm going to tell you a quick one that is infuriating. There's something called an assault three homicide. And what that is, is if someone clocks a guy. He falls down, hits his head, and dies. What's the charge? Assault third degree misdemeanor. That is infuriating to everyone, the family of the victim, but the person that punched him intended a physical injury and caused death. It doesn't fit anywhere in the law, so it's an assault third degree. I have had that in my homicide career numerous times, and it is totally infuriating, but that's the law.
7: I got to move out of New York. I
0: got to move out of
1: New York. <laughs> you you use the word in there, Bill, intent. And that's what's so very important in any crime that's charged. What was the person's intention at the time that they committed the act? And I think that's what those officers were trying to get at when they were interviewing Gabby about striking Brian. What, what, what did you want to do? What was your, you know, did you want to hurt him? Did you want to cause pain? Did you want to injure him? And she said, no, I was just trying to get his attention or whatever she said. So again, people that don't understand the law, intent is so important. Uh, I mean, a person's state of mind at the time that they commit, whatever act it is, goes to what their intent is, what their intentions are. So again, if if I get into a, a disagreement with you, Bill, and I punch you in the face and you hit the curb and You know, my intent wasn't to kill you. You know, you go out of the picture from an injury to your head – my intent was, you know, you, you struck me. I'm going to strike you back, you know, so that's very important. That's why people are probably having a hard time, you know, swallowing and digesting what we're talking about regarding the law. But it's like you said, we had to live with these things and we have to work around it and we investigated it the best we could. And whatever the result is, is we have a criminal justice system that dictates how these things go. And I'm okay with it. And Joe's talked about it before, and I'm sure you guys are okay with it. Sometimes, it's a little hard to swallow, but uh, you know it is the, the best system in place. I would say in the world at the current time. I mean, the, obviously things can always be made better, but uh, we have to live with the current system.
0: I think the I,
6: only I, I difference. That a lot of, go, go ahead, sorry, Bill.
0: No, I was just going to say. I think say this incident between Gabby and Brian took place in their home in a in their town. I think the only difference would in the police response would have been that they would have referred them to court, to family court. I think that absolutely would have happened. And in this case, because they were um, transient, I don't think that 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 necessarily occurred because they definitely, you could see, needed counseling, especially as a couple. They needed to be referred to family court to counseling. And family court is used to try to keep the families together. And criminal court, obviously, is to, to prosecute.
1: You know, Bill, you brought up uh, a good point. If that had taken place in New York, let's say, and I'm going to use New York because that's where I worked as a detective for all these years. a domestic incident, even if there was no arrest, a domestic domestic incident report would have been uh, made and it would have been followed up in the coming days. You know, probably the next day, the domestic violence officer gets a review of all, gets all those reports and they review it and they make contact with both parties. How's everything going? Are you guys okay? Do you need counseling? Do you want a referral for, uh, you know, mental health evaluation? So unfortunately, they were transient people. I think the officers did the best they could do at the time and, uh, you know, uh, a follow-up Probably would have been appropriate in that situation, but obviously, of course, where they were and how they were traveling, it probably wasn't done.
0: Jim, yeah. pop pop, pop pimping coins. As a reti- thank you for the five dollar super chat. As a retired 25 year police officer in North Carolina, any marks, cuts, bruises, automatic arrest. I'm not sure what that state DV laws are. Uh, those officers did good. Well, thank you, Jim, pop Pimpin'. Coins, that's a tough, it's uh, a mouthful. That's, some hell of a name. that's a hell of
7: a name. <laughs> yeah. but God, bless him. God bless him for being retired. Hey, I want to say Tina Marie, thank you for the kind words in the chat, and Christine Rose. Uh, there's so many people that are saying such great stuff, and it's very hard for everybody to get acknowledgement. And I know there is a level of frustration with that, but you guys are putting out some great information. From that police perspective and the law side of it, uh, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of stuff for everyone to digest, and a lot of people who don't know about this stuff get frustrated and pissed off about it. And we understand that totally. So all of the negativity or the, the, the comments in the chat, I, I get it because um, if you don't know, and you thought that it was done a certain way, and you thought it should go this way, when you come to hear it, it's kind of shocking. And I get that. But uh, I want to just say this. I would rather know the real part of it than to listen to somebody force feeding me a bowl of uh, nonsense. So, I think that it's really important to get it from the people who did the job so that so you can get an idea of really what it, what real life is and real world stuff is and instead of getting it from somebody who's just trying to feed you what you want to hear. You may not hear what you want to hear here, but it's the real deal. So Pat, these guys are the real deal.
0: Pat you thank you for the $10 Super Chat, and thank you for the work you do in all these cases and for the high quality of human beings you are. Sending warm warm hugs from Peru. That's fantastic. Uh I've never been to Peru. It's on my uh, bucket list to get there one of these days. Maybe Duty Ron and I will go together. Uh
7: <laughs> get, get me a first first class flight there where I could lay down and go to sleep. I'll go with you.
0: Uh, yeah, okay. You know, Joe, uh, someone asked a really good question in the chat. And the question was, what in the autopsy would would lead to probable cause to an arrest of uh of Brian Laundry,
6: The the autopsy is not going to lead so much to the probable cause of laundry. It's going to lead to what was the cause of death, the time of death. Those are the things that we're going to use to now marry up with him, particularly, let's just say, a knife wound, a particular knife that may have been used if they have examined the body and able to determine that. Rush back to the house and look for that knife, you know, and again, timing, timestamps, things like that. When you come with a a time of death determination, now you got to marry it up with what timeline you already have for him. So things like that are what going to make the nexus. Also examining the body for, as we talked about him and his presence and whatever uh, evidence there is of that, and to see if that matches with his timeline that they already have existing. So, there's a lot that could come from that. And the fact that the FBI rushed over there, I didn't see the search warrant yet. Have you guys read it, the, the affidavit in support of the search warrant that led yeah, to no. them going back to the house? Because it was treated as a crime scene. I saw a crime scene tape. They're worried about contamination. So, I think this is something relevant to what's happening in the autopsy.
0: Well, duty, Ron, we had a a conversation earlier when I was on your show to show that I do nothing else with my life but podcast. And you said that um, the judge referred to him in the search warrant as a suspect.
6: Yeah, yeah, but but Uh, it's available. The the, the affidavit would be very helpful because it, 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 lays out the basis of knowledge of why there will be material in the house that they can recover relevant material.
1: Well, I I think it's a gimme at this point, you know, that Brian is the suspect. We don't even have to, you know. uh, Yeah, but people are
0: still tiptoeing around and calling him a person of interest, you know. and
1: Bill, I mean, you and I both know we knew this from the beginning. He came back to, uh, from Wyoming to Florida on the 1st of September. He never said one word to her family. Uh, when they reached out to him, they reached, try to reach out to Gabby and they tried to reach out to his parents. They got no response whatsoever. She wasn't reported missing till the 11th. It's quite obvious that he was very, very, uh, up on her whereabouts and had knowledge of her last known locations. And he, he took the, I'll use the Ron's word that, that I've used too. He took the scumbag approach to it, and he just disregarded all of that. He had a disregard for this young lady. If she was left alive and she was out in the wilderness, it, whatever it was, he took the scumbag approach to it. So uh, he's a suspect in my mind. He has always been a suspect, and uh, I think the judge got it right on that warrant.
3: Yep.
6: I'm just going to be the hated defense attorney and say that as of yet, there's been no evidence reported on uh making the nexus the timeline even whether or not he had the ability to do it based on their timestamp uh and timeline of what he's been doing we all think it is we all believe it is and it's more likely that it is him but as of yet i haven't seen it
7: well i hope that happens soon uh april lynn said duty ron you have the best bedside manner that was the first time i've ever seen that comment ever but uh (laughs) Listen, guys, I got to go because I got to start straightening up the house. I got to play a Molly Maid here before my wife gets home from work. So I got to run. But thank you for having me. I'm going to be on tonight at 8 p.m. Uh, with a criminal uh, CSI, a crime scene investigator from the NYPD, a retired guy. and We're going to go over evidence collection. So I have a, a video that is scheduled. If you guys don't mind, go over, check it out. And then after mine's over, these guys, well, Bill will be live again at 9 o'clock um i thank you for having me in, and uh, ron, thank
0: you me. so much for stopping by it just shows that you know as i said we have no life we're just ready to podcast at any point any of uh, the day or night and ron, happy ron, do, to do do have
1: eddie wallace on ron i worked with eddie wallace in the 70 back in the 80s great guy i knew him throughout my career in the detective bureau he's a gentleman. very fine crime scene investigator great guy i'm sure i'll have great
7: perspective for you Yeah, I've had him on before. He's a repeat uh, guy. I've had him on with Barbara. So I'm looking forward to it. Joe, stay healthy. Bill, thank you. And uh, everybody in the chat, love and respect from Duty Ron. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Say hi to him for me. Thank you, Ron. Hey, uh, 5P, thank you so much for the $20 Super Chat. All you folks that aren't subscribed, please uh, go to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell, you know. We could use all, we love having people from Europe in our uh, police off the cuff family. Nicole H., thank you so much for the 10, is that 10 pounds or 10, but thank you anyway. I don't know what it is. As an English listener, I wondered if police in America have to learn different laws for different states. Excuse my ignorance. It's so different here. Yes, they absolutely do. Uh, Different states have different laws, different statutes. Joey, I think you can answer that better than me.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, especially when we're in such close proximity, you know, that uh, our our
0: jurisdictions
6: uh, are very close together. So, yeah, it's, it's it's helpful as a police officer to know the laws of the adjoining states and what you know what you're dealing with. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good point.
0: Joe, are you licensed to practice law in any other state than New York or just New York?
6: No, just New York. I I had my hands full here with uh, all the work (laughs) I do. Uh, I may be applying to enter into admission into Washington. Uh, I've been called upon to help out. There's a lot of these January 6th uh, detainees who are being held without bail, uh, which shocks me because even John Gotti was allowed to have bail and be out and, and about and this whole bail reform push. I don't understand why these people are still in custody uh, so yeah, I was called upon to, to look into some of these cases that may not be so cut and dry. Um, so shame on the judge know. that's keeping them without
1: bail. Shame on the shame judge on. that's doing that's a federal judge. That's disgusting. I mean, nobody should commit a crime. I'm not for that. They broke the law. They should be adjudicated, but out without bail for trespassing. Come on. That's nonsense. It's total bullshit in plain English. Yeah, well, Mermaid, I mean,
6: some of them are, are more severe. There are assaults and things of that nature, but even still, I mean, the law yeah, is blind and justice is blind and apparently it's not in Washington.
0: Mermaid yeah. in the ICU. The report released with witness statement and female cop statement both proved cops did above in my opinion and like many DV victims, Gabby didn't want to leave. I think you're probably right. Mermaid uh, ICU. Uh, that's most... You know, a lot of domestic violence victims have what we call Stockholm syndrome, and they get used to being a victim. Joseph Anthony, thank you for the 556 Super Chat. My dad was retired Army, Vietnam vet, and retired police. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Anthony, for acknowledging that. Uh, We really appreciate that. Folks, all all the folks in the chat that are in the green font, that means you're part of the uh, Police Off the Cuff YouTube family. We so appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, we have four different levels, $2.99, you're the bucket. Uh, 9 dollars a month, you can polish my rack. $24.99 a month, you can be dipped in butter. And for the $49.99 a month where well, one guy actually pays that, it's uh, heated dipped in butter, and we're, uh, we love that. Wyoming Adventures uh, will be charged in Wyoming if he is guilty. Thank you, guys. Yes, if the crime occurred in Wyoming, that's where the prosecution will take place, Uh Thank you so much, Wyoming Adventures. You know, when you look at this this beautiful country, the Grand Teton uh, Mountains and that beautiful park, it's amazing we're looking at that from the point of view of a, of a murder, of a serious crime. Terrible. And it's, it's, such a, it's such a shame. I've never been out there. It's so gorgeous that it makes me want to go out there. And, um, again, it's, this is, uh, this is a, a tragedy. This girl was only 22 years old. She's known this guy since high school. They went to high school together out on Long Island. Uh, you know, there's, we, this puts a, um, a spotlight on domestic violence throughout the country, throughout the world and domestic violence. We've seen it hundreds of times being on the New York city police department, the laws toward domestic violence, arrest and prosecution have gotten much, much stricter over the years. That's why, domestic violence homicides are down in almost every state statistically because usually the policy for most police departments is almost a must arrest policy. You want to comment on that, Joe?
6: Yeah, I I do because it is a frequent uh, case that I have to deal with and I I have to tell you, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with the policy. I don't agree with the handling of it. And I don't agree with it in a large part because of my philosophy. This is a free country. We have rights and privileges and immunities that we are guaranteed by the Constitution that continually become encroached upon. I'll give you a perfect example. I was called today by a prospective client who him and his girlfriend, They've had a very you know, a dicey relationship, but they love each other. They've known each other a long time, lived together. Unfortunately, they, they uh, got into a domestic incident. Um, he was arrested on a misdemeanor. I think it was a misdemeanor assault or a menacing. Um, then after the arrest, there's an automatic, in every single case, order of protection. What that order of protection means is you can have zero contact. You can't talk. You can't text. You can't have any contact whatsoever, whether the person wants your contact or not. So she had called him and they were having a conversation and then it got heated. So she called the police again and he got arrested again. This is the second time. Now, as a result, he had another attorney handling it. Actually, this took place while I was in the hospital. And he took a plea and the plea required that he adhere to this order of protection which is a full stay away order protection. You can have no contact. They've been going to counseling separately to be in compliance with the law and they want to reunite and continue their relationship. Now, here's the funny part. Yes, he took a plea and he accepted the terms and that plea and one of the terms was that he was gonna have no contact with her. What about her? She's a US citizen allowed her First Amendment privilege to associate with whoever she wants. If she decides, I wanna associate with my long-term boyfriend, where is the government's right to tell her you're not allowed to? She's committed no crime, she's a crime victim. She's committed no crime and she has a constitutional uh, a constitutional right to associate with whoever she wants to. Where is the government's right to say, no, I'm sorry, because he's committed a crime against you and it's cost us as the state resources to, to deal with this prosecution. We're not allowing you to have contact with him. So there are certain fundamental things I think are wrong with this system. I think it's well-intended. I think people do this, You know, the government does this with the intention of preserving peace, public safety, but it's infringing on personal freedoms and rights, and I don't like that. So there's a lot of... You know,
0: Joe, I almost felt like I was in a first-year law school class and you were were preaching to me, but I I understand what you're talking about. I could see both parts of the law because sometimes the only thing that protects us in this country is the law. We're a country, the rule of law is, is extremely important. I just want to say one thing. Navy vet... Uh, Thank you for the $10 super chat. And you wrote in 1971, my ex-husband was arrested for domestic violence but never charged for the death of our daughter due to the the DV. Sometimes justice isn't fair. I'm so sorry that you experienced the loss of your daughter. I don't know all the circumstances, but what a horrible thing to go through, Navy vet. Uh, This is what, you know, we're trying to – give you a police perspective on the, on the situation. And uh, we've been talking for an hour and
1: uh, I got one quick question for Joe related to what he was just saying in the, in the, uh, the no contact order protection. If she initiated the phone call to him, how does he have culpability in that? If she called him up, he, 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 you know, he answers the phone. It's her. she, he didn't call her. He didn't initiate contact. She did. Would he, did did he get arrested
6: for that? He did get arrested, and that and the reason why he got arrested because he got hooked into this conversation and then went back and forth. He's not allowed to have contact. He can't just rely upon, well, she called me, so now I, I can talk to her. Right. No, you should have hung up the says. phone. You cannot have contact. And okay. not only contact, if she came to his house and he opened the door and he let her in, And God forbid something happens where they call the police, he'll be immediately arrested. Or like you said, the domestic violence officers, usually after a domestic incident, they'll come by for a visit. Domestic violence officer comes by and she's in the home. That's a violation. But do you see how she has no right? She has no rights whatsoever. The the, the rights
1: on both sides are uh, not a criminal.
6: She is the state has no jurisdiction over her. They're saying you two can't be together. I, I, I'm so offended by that.
0: You know, Joe, I think that uh, we're, we're at an hour and 21 minutes, and I know you need to uh, to protect your voice because it's still mm-hmm. not strong. To so you can make the 450 an hour that you charge <laughs> um, your clients. Right. And Phil Grimaldi, it's your birthday today, <clears throat> and we got another show tonight at nine o'clock tonight. Right. Police off the cuff will have. Uh, retired NYPD first grade detective Mordecai Dazansky, who is a counterterrorism excerpt. So we're sort of segueing just away from this case. I love reporting on this case. This case is so interesting. This case is heart-wrenching. This case has caught the imagination of everyone across the world. It's a real tragedy. And we like to give you our perspective on this. Guys, even though we're at uh, an hour and 22 minutes, I'll give you one quick... Uh, last words, Phil real quick, just, uh, regarding the offices that,
1: uh, did that car stop and, and on that domestic violence, uh, August the 12th, had she come out of the van and said, yes, uh, he smacked me in the face. Look at this mark on my face or I'm in pain. I know for certain they would have arrested him. She didn't say that. However, one last thing, um, you know, just uh, condolences to the Petito family on the loss of Gabby. Thank you everybody in the chats for the birthday wishes. And, uh, We'll see you t- guys tonight at nine o'clock. Duty Run show at eight o'clock. And uh thanks for watching, guys.
0: We we love this world of podcast cross-pollination. And I actually made that term up. And uh Joe Murray, I want to give you a last few words, even though your voice is you're starting to lose your voice. I'll let you uh your last word.
6: Thank you. Thank you so much. And Bill, I really just love being in the show and and on here, it gives me an opportunity to talk about issues like this that bother me and personal freedoms and the over-intrusive government. I just want people to consider it and think about it. And I love that you give me this platform. Uh, Phil, I love you, man. Happy birthday, all the best. I hope you enjoy your day with your family.
0: Thanks so much, pal, I appreciate it. Okay, folks, on behalf of Police Off The Cuff Real Crime Stories on Bill Cannon, on behalf of Phil Grimaldi, whose birthday is today, And Joe Murray, thank you so much for listening and have a great, great day, great night.
1: Stay safe, everyone.